So what we're going to do today is we're going to be, we've been in a series. We've been kind of weaving in and out of a series on our values. And we have five core values. Thank you, Reggie. You are my hero. If I was a rich man, I'd pay you to be my musician everywhere. Like if I had like Mark Zuckerberg money, the Amazon guy, who's that? Bezos, if I had his money, I'd, I'd buy you a keyboard on a, on a cart and I'd pay you millions just to play a soundtrack for me. <laughs> but we're going through our values. And our values, we have, we have five core values as a church that we share with Every Nation Ministries, of which we're a part. And they are uh, lordship, evangelism, discipleship, leadership development, and family. And over the last bunch of weeks, we've been weaving in and, in and out of these core values, highlighting different ones and emphasizing it to kind of set our hearts orientation uh, in, in the new year. And I know it doesn't feel new anymore. It's, I, we've been weaving. Um, yes, we are in April. But, we're, um, but, but here we are, and we're going to be covering our last one. It's, it's leadership development. And so we're going to look at Mark chapter 3. And we're going to see a process that Jesus is bringing his disciples through. And it's a process that God desires to bring each of us through to equip us for the work of ministry that we're all called to. We're not a church where I'm the one who does all of the ministry. Everybody say, Amen. Amen. Everybody say, Thank you, Lord. You don't want me doing all the ministry. We have people who help with marriage and we have people who help with parenting and we have people who help with other relationships and other finances and, and all those kinds of things. It's a, it's a team of people because we believe that we're a church where the members are the ministers and the body was designed to care for itself and to heal itself. And, and as a part of the body, my role in this is to provide some direction but also to teach on Sunday mornings uh, along with a, n- a number of other people who help assist in this capacity. But my capacity isn't to do all of the ministry. It's to equip us for the work of ministry. You tracking? And so uh, this is Jesus bringing his disciples through it. He called them in the very beginning and said, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. It was a call where Jesus was giving them, um, he was giving them a place with him. He was giving them a people, each other, and he was giving them a purpose to fish for men. And, and as disciples, we should be following Jesus, experiencing community with one another and also fishing for men. And, that, and that's, that's what he's doing. And so he's teaching them all along and guiding them. And so now we're a, a little ways into the ministry and crowd and into his ministry and crowds are flocking to him and they're getting to him and they're they're knocking down walls to get to him and they're they're pressing up against him and crushing into him and um and that brings us to mark chapter 3 verses 13 through 15 so if you could stand to your feet to read the scripture with me and actually i'd love for you to read it with me today because it's a fairly short passage Mark chapter 3, verses 13 through 15. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those who he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach, and they have authority to cast out demons. This is God's word to us. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your word that it brings life, that it convicts of sin and of righteousness. So we ask that you would have your way with our hearts, minds, and souls today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. 
part of being, uh, part of the, the mission or the, the vision, the big idea that Pastor Brett Fuller had when he came to the D.C. metro area back in 1982 was to help establish a church that looks like heaven. And certainly diversity was a part of that looking like heaven. And so what you see on the stage and what you see in the congregation is something that is, it doesn't, it doesn't happen on accident. It's very on purpose. It's something that we pray about. It's something we wrestle with. It's a value that we layer in. It's, it's, we're, but we don't want just diversity. What we're looking for and believing for and dreaming of and striving towards is reconciliation. So that we wouldn't just be in the same room with one another, but we would be one another. Like we would be with one another and love one another and, and care for one another. And that your, your children would be as a, your, your son would be as a son to me. Your daughter would be as a daughter to me. That you would be a brother to me. That you would be a sister to me. That's, that's our dream. And it's not based on the, the color of our skin, the amount of money that we make or, or anything else, but based on the fact that Jesus has called us to him together. And, and, but, but we'd be, we'd be missing it if we limit it to saying that the church that looks like heaven is just one with lots of different people from different kinds of backgrounds. The church that looks like heaven would also be a church of passion. It would be a church of power. It would be a church of victory. It would be a church of intimacy and transformation. It would be a church that's intimate and close to Jesus and holds Jesus to be at the center of everything that we say and do. Even though some of the more visual things are the thing that capture our attention first, the thing that doesn't, might not, might slip our imagination or might slip our eyes is that Jesus is at the center of everything that we do. And Jesus is drawing us into an intimate and close relationship with us. And that's this first step that we have where we have to engage in Jesus, that, we in, that we're engaged with Jesus. And when we draw near to him, we're transformed. And that's what we're going to be largely talking about today. Um, Jesus oftentimes, you, we read at the very beginning, that, that he went up the mountain or in, into the mountain, onto the mountain. He went to the mountain. And, and he has this pattern about him, Jesus does, where he would get away from the crowds. He would even get away from his disciples and he would go to this place where he would talk to, he would talk to the Father. We call it prayer. But he would talk to the Father and he would express his heart to the Father and he would listen to what the Father was saying. And, and we, we have it in, in the Garden of Gethsemane at the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, you, you hear this account of the angels coming and ministering to him. So I imagine that there's, that there's ministry happening and, and talking and, and relating and just spending time with one another occurring. But Jesus regularly slipped off by himself. And we'd be remiss if I didn't just take a moment, even though it doesn't have anything to do with like a main point, we'd be remiss to realize, to, to miss the fact that this is something that, that God is inviting us into as well. In our 24-7 news culture, in our, in our social media kind of pressured society to be on all the time, in our sports center world with new highlights coming all the time. By the way, I'm not mad if you check the Masters while you're in here. I'm not sure what time they start. But I know that like, there's all this stuff coming at you all the time from everywhere. But, but Jesus gives us this example where he slipped away by himself to have intimate time with the Father. But this time... He didn't just go by himself. This time, he summoned the disciples to come with him. He said, it says that he summoned those who he himself wanted. And it's a pretty cool idea. That Jesus was going off to be in this intimate place with the Father. 
And then he called to some people and said, come on, I want you in this one. I want you to come with me. I'm sure the disciples, when Jesus was walking away, they were like, okay, we're going to give him his space. We're going to give him his time. Jesus likes his time. <laughs> like, Peter, don't mess it up. Right? Just be quiet for a minute. Let him go get his time with the Father. And so he was going. But this time, we don't know if he sent somebody for them or if he hollered to them or if he went down and went back and got them. But this time he brought them in. And, and sometimes when, when God, is, God is, he seems far off, it's not, that he's, he's, it's not that he's cut himself off from you because you've done something wrong. Now, certainly we can do things that make God feel far from us, right? We can get in a fight or, or, or say something or do something or be thinking and meditating about something that certainly pushes thoughts of God and, and awareness of his presence to the back, right? Just, just me. Okay, that's cool. It's me and Andrew. It's you and me today, buddy. <laughs> we, we can do that, but sometimes what God is doing is he's, he's moving away and then he's inviting us into a place of intimacy that we wouldn't experience around everyone else. So as much as I celebrated Sunday morning just a few minutes ago, and I'm like, man, Sundays are important and they're significant and it's, it, we need to prioritize this in our life. It doesn't mean to the exclusion of moving away and having private and intimate and and a close, uh, exposed and open time before God in our, in our secret place. And God, and God, Jesus is inviting the disciples. He's like, Hey, come on. I want you to come with me. I've chosen you for a very specific purpose. And I want to bring you in on some things that are going on in my heart and mind. There's another, there's another time where I kind of see this happening. And that's in Genesis. Way back in Genesis, the angels of the Lord were going and they were going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham's right there. And, and Abraham's kind of like, hey guys, what's going on? And what you doing? And the angel's like, should we bring him in on this? Can we let him in on the secrets of God? And so they decide, yeah, let's let him know. This is what we're going to do. And Abraham pleads with them, please don't destroy him. Yeah. What, if, what if we can find some righteous people there? What if we can find uh, a little fewer than that? What if we can find fewer than that? What if we can find one person who's righteous? Would you spare the city? And they were like, if. But what's cool is God saw, God was pleased to bring Abraham into something that, that he was already doing and bring him into it and let him know what was going on. And family, I want to let you know that God wants to bring you in on what he's doing. God is calling you away from the crowds and he's calling you up to a, to a secret, to an isolated, to a private place so that he can talk to you about the things that he's up to. And he'll talk to you about the things that he's up to in your life. And he'll talk to you about the things that he's up to in your children's life. And he'll talk to you about the things that he's up to in your neighbors and your friends' lives. Not just so that you can know it and be puffed up with knowledge and have so much wisdom and revelation and ideas. And be like, I'm the knower of things that God's doing. But so that you can cooperate with God in the things that he's already trying to do. Oftentimes when, when God presses on my heart and he's like, I'm doing a hard work in Dan Lee. That's not what's happening right now. But, but he's, a, he's one of our campus ministers. And he's a, he's a full-time college minister at Nova. And I'm doing a hard work in Dan. And it's like, okay, God's doing some hard things in Dan. I know what to look for. And I can step out and I can stand alongside him and say, come on, Dan, how you doing, champion? Amen. Let's get up. Let's go, buddy. Yeah. I'm here for you. How can I pray for you? How can I fight with you? How can I stand with you? 
right? And God will give you insight so that you can cooperate with the work of God in somebody's life or in your life or so that you can see your children with completely different eyes, right? Without talking to God, my children are, 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 oh man, it's, I I don't even, it's on Facebook. They're angels. All the time, they're angels. That's all they ever are. They're like a rebellious tribe. (laughs) You know, and it's like, you guys, I don't know when you do it, but you all got together sometime in the middle of the night. Between the times you were waking me up and you plotted against me and your mother. (laughs) And And it would feel that way, but then God starts to give you insight into your children's lives. And then you're able to see, oh, wait a second, God's doing a thing in my child's life. I can cooperate with God. Maybe they're, maybe, maybe they're a little rebellious, but maybe something else is going on. Maybe God's doing something. He's doing some heart surgery. And now as their father, I can participate with the heavenly father and produce something that God wants to produce in their lives. Not just the, um, behavior like modification that I would be going for. But we need to hit the pause button and engage Jesus and spend this time with him and be close to him. We, we need to all hear this. I choose you. There is no greater revelation in the world than to realize that Jesus is calling you and that he's chosen you. And it wasn't that he just chose you one time. It's not that he just called them to salvation. He called them to a relationship with him, but now he's, he's choosing them again. He's like, come in close. It's like, follow me, now come in close. There's this moment, there's this moment at the end of... um. This this is kind of a sidetrack. There's this moment in John 20 where Peter, Jesus tells Peter, hey, you're going to die. And Peter's like, okay, cool. What about him? And he points at the disciple that Jesus loved. (laughs) He goes, what about him? And Jesus is like, none of your business. (laughs) He's like, read it this week. It's, It's amazing. He's like, it's none of your business. What I do with him, whether he lives or dies, that's not your business. And then he says, follow me. This call to follow God and this call to chase after God is, is consistent. It's not a one-time call. It's a, it's a forever call for the rest of our life that tomorrow morning, he's calling you before you wake up, follow me. I choose you, choose me back. See, we, 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 even the way we tell stories, like I found God when I was 18 years old, or I found God as a child, or I found God. But the reality is he found us and he chose us. It's just that we finally got tired of fighting it and we finally said, yes, sir. But we need to get this revelation and we need to get this understanding that he's chosen you. It's a completely different thing when you realize that you were chosen on purpose. When you feel like accidentally chosen, how, how, how much affirmation do you feel in your soul? Think back to dodgeball in, in grade school, right? That last person, how loved does that last person feel on their team? They're like, I don't care if you get hit with a ball. You didn't even want me on your team. Go ahead and get hit. Right? 
Last one chosen is kind of like, well, you can deal with this on your own. You didn't want me. I, I don't want you either. And some of us relate to God that way because we didn't realize that he chose us. We feel like we chose him. And so when he doesn't do exactly what we thought he should do, we get mad and we're like, I don't want you anyway. Because we forget that he first chose us. So he chose you. And if, if you do not yet have a relationship with Jesus, he's calling you. Because he's chosen you. And you have an opportunity to respond. But he doesn't just choose us so that we could just go up on the mountain and hear secrets and hear it by ourselves. But he also is doing, he's doing some other things. What he does is he establishes us in relationship with him and with each other. And so you see in verse 14 that he appointed the 12 so that they would be with him. Many of us, as, as we grow in our relationship with Jesus, we start to silo a little bit. And we're like, oh, I don't need anybody discipling me anymore, speaking into my life anymore. Because I know how Jesus is. I know what he does. I know how to be a Christian. Thank you. But that just exposes how much we don't know how to be a Christian. When we isolate ourselves and move off by ourselves and, and hide by ourselves. The, the second that we say, I'm good by myself, is the second we cease to understand that it's it, it, the, the fullness of the gospel that we've been invited to partake in. What God desires to do is to place us into community and to give us a people. And he chooses that people for us. The same way he chose you, he chose people for you. And sometimes he chooses people for you that you don't necessarily like right away. That you don't understand right away. Never mind right away. You're still struggling. There are people that God's called you to walk with and you just can't relate to them. You can't figure it out. There are these enigmas, these puzzles that you just wrestle with and you're like, I don't get it. But we're called to be together. So I'll stay until we got it. It's part of the, part of the fun of it, honestly. But he called them so that they would be together. When you think, and like we, we, we clean up the the bible right and and we act like oh well the disciples were all in agreement on things but the reality is when he called them he he had a zealot among them a zealot was a political movement that wanted to overthrow rome at any cost so they were trying to overthrow rome he was they were militias they were militant they were radical and so he had them and then he had a he had a tax collector he was getting rich off the fact that rome was was occupying and so now you got a dude who wants to overthrow and a guy who's getting rich and it's in his interest for them not to overthrow. Yeah. And then you've got some fishermen who have a certain skill set, not the skill set that we'll see on display later because he doesn't wait till people are skilled to do a thing to call them. He just calls you. Amen. And so he calls them and then, and so he's got a fisherman and then, oh, he's even, he even calls among them a dude who's going to betray him. Whoa. And so that's kind of what we have in the room. <laughs> it's a little awkward. Everybody's like, I don't want to be Judas. <laughs> and somebody's like, I'm Judas. <laughs> <laughs> the disciples asked the same question. Who is it? <laughs> Find him. <laughs> yeah, it really is in many ways. I, I, in many ways, it's a, picture of, it's a picture of the church. 
And I didn't know what's cool about this. There wasn't a single ordained pastor among them. Wasn't a priest. Wasn't a scribe. Wasn't anybody famous. They didn't need a famous person. They didn't need social media. They didn't need a nice website. They didn't need a nice building. These men had none of those things. And yet he called them to change the world forever. I'm like, we, we've got a website. So like we were already, we're the most educated and richest generations that have ever lived on the face of the planet. We have more technology on our phone than the combined of history. What are we going to do with it? So he calls them. Revelation chapter 7 verse 9 says, After I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And as the body of believer, as the body of believers, as the church, we have the privilege of joining in this now in the lives that we live today. But this is what we have to look forward to. So I want to I want to get a, as much of a taste of it in this life as I possibly can. As we draw near to Him, we're also called just we're also called to be with Him. To be with him. Not to perform in front of him. Not to do something for him. Not to earn the call that they've already received. They hadn't done much. They just followed him around. And somehow following Jesus around is good enough. It qualifies you. Just following Jesus around will qualify you to do the kinds of things that the disciples and the apostles did. And they did extraordinary things. They established churches. They did world missions. They cared for widows and orphans. They, they went on, they, 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 um, they established the church and taught people who taught people who taught people who taught people who taught, people who taught us. And so, that, but it started with just being so that they would be with him. Now, later they would do some stuff from, for him, but it would be from a place of rest, not from a place of earning an action and trying to perform and pretending and trying to conform and do things for him and prove their ministry or prove their worth or their value. It would be from a place of knowing that he called us when we weren't doing anything and all he's told us to do is to be with him. He's like, I want to let you in on some stuff. And the big thing about being with him, I wonder about the conversations they had when they were near him. As they walked from different healings and to different other uh, to other situations, and when the crowd was pressing in, and when they when they walked away, when they were at the campfire, and when they were visiting somebody's house, and as they were watching him, I I, I marvel about the conversations that were, were probably happening at the time. You know, Jesus, how did you do that? Why did you do that? I don't quite understand it. And then Peter's like, "You did it because this," and they're like, "No, that's not it, dummy. <laughs> Let's ask the disciple Jesus loves."
But it doesn't have to remain a mystery because we have the same access available for us today. And that in the same way the disciples walked with them from one place to another, we can walk and talk to them from one place to another. We call it being in step with the Spirit of God. And so as you go from church today, you can, you can talk to God and say, hey, what, did, what is it that you really wanted me to learn today? A lot was said. A lot was experienced. A lot was sung. God, what, what is like the real deposit that you have for me today that you want me to chew on this week? And what's amazing about our God is that when we speak to him, he speaks back. And he'll speak to you with the still, small voice and impress things on your heart or impress things on your mind. Some people, God will give you visions and images in your, in your mind. And he'll speak to you with images. Capel, bro, you get more visions. Homeboy gave his life to Jesus like six months ago. And God is speaking to him in visions. And I'm like, he's like, well, I haven't had a vision in about a week. And I'm like, I haven't had a vision in about uh, 35 years. So... <laughs> So, you, so you're good. But God is going to speak to us in, in different ways. In different, and in, in, in we can't suppress it because it's not what somebody else has. I can't be like, well, God doesn't speak to me. He speaks to Capel because Capel gets visions and I'm jealous of that. And no, he's like, David, I'm going to press things on your heart. And you're going to feel like it's your idea, but it's my idea. And as you talk about it with people, you're going to realize that this is me doing something in you that, that I'm trying to establish inside of you. And so I'm learning how to discern the voice of God for my life and for the lives of the people in my life and for our congregation. And it's a process. And so don't get all upset because it's because it's not clear or it's because it's a word or it's an idea. And you're like, maybe God is calling me to give something up. No, that's not God. (laughs) No, 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 no. God wouldn't tell me to, to close my computer and not watch Netflix. I just bought this Apple TV. God wouldn't call me to give that up. Fried chicken is his design. He made it delicious. It was his doing. He wouldn't call you to do that, except he does. He does so faithfully. I need a counseling session. Then there's this really cool word that comes up. It's this word and again. This verse, if you go back and read it on your own time, you'll see a lot of ands, and it's really neat. This verse even started with an and, or this passage started with an and, but so that they would be with him and. Everybody say and. Family, we can't get stuck into spending time with Jesus and spending time with one another. It's incredibly important. It's central. It's significant to the plan of God. It is part of the plan A, but it's not the full of plan A. We need to remember that it's spending time with him and fellowshipping with others and. And so what is this? What is this and that we could see now a lot happens in the end. There's an equipping that happens because what he's about to do is he's he's about to give them a task. It's not a task they're going to be released into right here in this moment. It's a task they would be released into uh, later on after he ascends back into heaven. But what we have is that he's going to send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. That's what's going to happen. But he called them so that they could be with him and so that this could happen. So he's not going to send them out unequipped, unprepared. And so this and is really significant. Behind this and is all the equipping that happens as we draw near to him. It's the transformation that occurs in our life. And some people, they went out to preach. Let's just go ahead and get into it. He was going to send them out so that they could preach. And so you're sitting here and you're like, oh, I'm not in the mood to preach. 
I don't preach well. I don't know how to do what you're doing, but that's not what you need to do. You need to speak and you need to speak with confidence and you need to speak with clarity, but you don't have to give a sermon and break down all of this. The different sermons in the Bible looked like uh, Philip said, it's him. It's the one we were waiting for. He's um, this blind man said, I don't know what to say. I was blind, but now I see that was his sermon. I was blind, but now I see. I don't know anything else. You can ask him yourself. You can go to him. Come to church on Sunday. Talk to him. I went to church. I came in depressed. I left, I left not depressed. I went in with a hurt leg. I left with a knot, uh, with a, with a leg that was okay. I went in one way with a broken marriage and I hung around. I joined a small group and now my marriage is restored. That's all I know. That's all I can, that's all I can say about this thing is that the more that I spend time with God and His Word and the more I spend time with God and His people, uh, my life is changing and my relationships are changing. My finances are changing. And that's all I can tell you. I don't have the Greek or the Hebrew. All I can tell you is something's changing in my life. So if you need a little change in your life, stay in it. And then this remarkable thing happens that as we begin to experience this change and talk about the change, more change happens. It's like we open our mouth and saying it out loud and hearing our voice with our own ears, speaking what God is doing in our life starts to build faith. And you're like, that is what he's doing. And that gives you the energy and the zeal and and the kind of the fuel to step back into it again and again and again and experience more and more and more of what God desires for you to have in him. And so with this, with this purpose thing, and this is kind of with this purpose thing that he's given us the purpose of preaching. And then I'm going to speak about the authority and demons too, because why not <laughs> with this, with this, with God defining the disciples lives in reality and purpose. Uh, this is why, uh, this is why the doctrine of creation is so important. Now, the doctrine of creation is that God created everything. He spoke and it was. He spoke and it was. He spoke and it was so. He spoke and it was so. That God created everything. Now, I don't want to get into old earth or new earth or any of those kinds of things. That's, that's irrelevant for this, for this moment. But what we need to understand is that everything didn't come into being. Everything was created at the very will and purpose of God. Now, this is why this is important. Because God created everything and then gave man a purpose and a call within that which he created. Okay? Seems basic enough. But if it happened on its own, then we're the ones that assigned the purpose. And we're the ones that assigned the value. And we're the ones that decide how things are going to be. So what he did is he created everything and then gave us a place in it. He defined everything. And gave us a place in it. Oftentimes, even if we believe that God created everything, we live as if everything just existed. And it's our job to define what it's there for. Why it's there. What it's there for. And what I'm supposed to do in it. So, but from the very beginning, it's, it's that God created and established purposes for us within his creation. And so this is just a continuation of the same thing that happened at the very beginning. Way back at the very beginning of the Bible in, in Genesis, when God created everything and gave everything a purpose and, an, and he gave us permission to name what the things were so we wouldn't be confused, but he created them and gave them their purpose. We just named them so we could know what they were. 
And so we're stepping into a world and a purpose that God has preordained, that God has predecided, that God has pre-created for us, and we're existing in it. I don't know if I said that as well as I wanted to. You'll get it Thursday. So God's going to send them out and, he, and he's going to send them out and, and, um, and they're going to preach. And the message that they preach is going to be simple in the beginning. And, and it, you know, we don't need to move away from simplicity. Even Paul, who wrote the book of Romans, which is like the treatise on, on Christian doctrine, he said to the church in Corinth, he said, I didn't come with persuasive speech, but I came with power. I just came with a simple message and God was doing some stuff through me. I, I wanted to kill all the Christians. Jesus met me on a road. I don't want to kill them. I want to protect them. I want to serve Jesus. I want to die for Jesus. Yeah. That's what happened in my life. And let me pray for you and let's watch you be healed. And then, and then uh, so, so to preach and then to have authority to cast out the demons. Now, um, demons are real. I know kind of a funny thing to talk about the week after Easter with everybody who's new. Um, but we believe in God and rising from the dead and miracles and everything else. And demons are just as much a, a part of the supernatural reality that we exist within as, as our angels and, and everything else. But he, he was going to give them authority to cast out the demons. And, and we, we've, um, demons are real. And we have... Um, in our society, we've decided they're not real because we don't need them to exist. Because science exists, we don't need the supernatural to exist anymore. But that doesn't change the fact that the supernatural still exists. We just, like, you can't say that I don't exist. I'm, I'm right here. Whether or not you acknowledge my existence or not, it, I'm, I'm here. Now, because we have, because we have advanced as societies and we have smartphones, demons can't exist. Like logically, it doesn't make sense to me. Now, maybe we don't, we don't recognize them as readily. Maybe they, maybe it just is a little bit different. Certainly nobody's floating down your street, right? chanting and stuff and doing like weird stuff that maybe you hear about in other countries. But, but the reality that there are demonic influences that are oppressing people is as real as it could ever be. And we don't want to call it a demon. And, and we don't like, I, not everything is a demon. Not every depression is a demon. Okay. Not every, not every overweight person is a demon. Not every, like not the person is a demon, you know, like there's not a demon behind it. Right? Not, not every broken marriage is because of a demon. You know, some of, much of it's our own bad choices. But they were going to have authority over the things that their choices couldn't overcome. Y'all, I, 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 my, my heart is broken for our society. I, um, and, and I'll, I'll land here, but our society is, our society is sick. It's sick. It's hurting. And it's broken. And what do we do with so many people that are depressed and so many people that need counseling and so many people with emotional, emotional health? Like you, you listen to the news or you pay attention. You're like, man, emotional health is tanking. We've got more money and more education than we've ever had. But everything about our soul is being crushed and destroyed. We need something that, that, that counseling hasn't been able to get to. We need something that a paycheck hasn't been able to get to. We need something that an education hasn't been able to get to. 
We need God. We need his holy, we need the Holy Spirit to come and move powerfully through us and in us. Because more education isn't going to make me more free. It's just going to let me know more about freedom that might be available. What we need is the authority and the power of God working in and through our lives for ourselves, for our family, for our friends, and for our community, for our country, for the nations. And he says, I'm going to give this authority to you so that when you speak, things will scatter. And so this is my, this is my hope. This is my dream for us as a congregation that during worship, people would come in and, and even those, of, those in our congregation among you who have battled with depression for your whole life, that, that, that one of these days you're going to come in and you're going to meet Jesus. The Holy Spirit is going to move on your heart. You're going to hear the voice of the Father and you're going to be delivered from that, that depression. Yeah. Yeah. I'm believing that people are going to be delivered. Guys, look, I, like, if we believe in a resurrected Savior, let's believe in a resurrected Savior who can resurrect us. If we believe that he's standing at the right, uh, he's seated at the right hand of God, let's believe that he's really living and he's seated at the right hand of God and he's got something to say about these things that have us captive. I'm tired of saying, I can only help you so far because I, I'm, I'm not a counselor. In emotional health, nobody can really do anything. Let's give it Prozac. I'm tired. I'm tired of that. Has anybody else been up against something? You're just tired of being up against that thing? You're tired of like, oh, well, it's just my marriage. It's just that way. No, it doesn't just have to be that way. So obviously I'm moving away from the, just the demon part, but I'm moving to the authority part. I'm, I'm moving to the anointing part where God wants to anoint his church to be able to be witnesses of, of the kingdom of heaven and of his purposes in every area and facet of our lives. But it starts with getting close to him. It's advanced by spending time with and loving one another. And then as we do that, we're equipped for this work of ministry. And we learn to share a testimony, how to, how to talk about the things that God's doing in our lives and how to talk about the things that we read in Scripture. And, and we, we figure out how it's good news and why it's good news. And then, and then we're empowered to go out and talk to people about it. And then when we pray for people, we pray with an expectation and a belief that their hearts really will be healed, that their marriage really will be restored, that, that addictions really will be broken. But it starts with answering. I glossed over it. I actually, I didn't even talk about it in the very beginning. And um, in, that, in that verse, it says that he called them and the disciples came to him. We act like it's a foregone conclusion that they were going to come to him. But that's the invitation for all of us today is to come to him. So Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask that you would give us the courage to come to you. May we would have the faith to step out to draw near to you, that we would seek you out. As, as, you've, as you've ascended to heaven, yet you still call us into the same process that we see in the disciples' life, I ask that you would give us courage. Not just so that we could have more of you for ourselves, but we could have more of you for ourselves and so that we can take this message of hope, restoration, healing, and wholeness to our, to our hurting brothers and sisters. To our hurting neighborhoods and communities.